Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to get to this passage in a, a little while. We have been looking at, began last week at looking at the, the call of the disciples molded by the Master. And last week we considered the, the meeting the Master. This evening I, I want us to look at the selecting of the Twelve. And my desire is to take a few weeks to look at the general aspect of the Lord's calling them and then take some time and look at the individual apostles and seeking to learn from them. Last week as we, we looked at those who had met the Master, we concluded, uh, and I, I very quickly walked through the different stages of the fellowship that disciples had with Jesus and how they grew in knowledge in that fellowship and in ministry. And I just want to very quickly review those stages and, and expand on a couple of the points that we didn't talk about. But we, we talked about the, the belief, the, the salvation that precedes service and, and how they came to know the Lord. And we went to John chapter 1. We saw how several of them were introduced to Christ. Uh, the First by the preaching of the word, the proclamation, behold the Lamb of God. And two of them turned, followed Jesus asked, where are you staying? He said, come and see. One of those men was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. And we saw that in, in verse 40, that that's who it was, which then led, whoops, sorry, to the second one, which was the family member. So Andrew though, then goes and finds his brother and says, we have found the Messiah. It shows that heart desire, that love, that concern for those that are closest to us to, to reach family. The third one was the testimony of a friend, that Philip finds Nathaniel. And it was that same heart impulse that was compassion and concern and, and says, we have found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, Nathaniel's response was, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and it wasn't so much skepticism as that was not the town you would be looking for. And yet I think there was a, an openness because the response of Philip is, come and see. And so Nathaniel came. He looked and was brought to Christ. And, and so we saw how Philip had influenced him, but the question we had asked was, where did Philip come from? And what we saw was that there was the intervention of the Lord, that the Lord found Philip. And yet each of these had that relationship. They came to him, you know, conversion, the, the belief in him as Messiah, the Christ, that it took more than the respect, that it was more than coming and saying rabbi, which was a very respectful term of teacher, but it was he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. And so we saw that the, the salvation precedes service. The second aspect was that of, of conviction, the growing awareness. The, the disciple is a student, a learner. And what you really see with these disciples and with others, because there was a multitude that, that were following the Lord, but there was the attention to his person, who he was, and then a growing awareness of their ministry, their place. 
For some of them, it involved an abandoning of their secular occupation or in, in part or maybe in whole. For Matthew, it was complete. He was a tax collector. For those who were fishing, not necessarily completely, but there was a change. And then there was an increased willingness to hear and to grow. The third aspect, and really what we're going to be looking at this evening, was apostleship. And the idea here where a disciple is a student, a learner, the apostle is, is a sent one, a messenger is what the word means. And, and I, I, I want to just give a few points of explanation here that I think are helpful for us. The, the, first of all, the qualifications for an apostle. One is they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And we find that in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, as, as they're trying to find somebody to take the place of Judas. Judas had betrayed the Lord. He was the traitor. He then went out and, and killed himself. He hung himself, uh, committed suicide. And they said, we need someone. And, and here were the qualifications according to Acts 1, verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that Je the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they had to have been there from the time of John the Baptist. And again, we realize there were a lot of other disciples. He's going to choose 12 from that. But one of the qualifications for an apostle was they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. And Paul testifies that he meets that qualification. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, he had a very unique experience. We read about it in Acts chapter 9, ver verses 1 through 9, that he sees the Lord, but, but he clarifies he had that. And, and he refers to himself as, as one who was born out of due time, that he was born late, but it was the mercy of God. So there, there had to be that aspect. There had to be a direct call. And Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 7 speaks of that. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 23 through 26 refers to that. But there's a specific aspect in, in Acts as they're looking, they're trying to decide, they, they're casting lots, and the idea there is we're going to allow the Lord to decide. That was, that was what was involved there. Uh, another qualification is they had to have the miraculous sign gifts. They, they had to be able to do those sign gifts. And, and the purpose of sign gifts was to authenticate the messenger and the message. That miracles were not simply to make life easier or to grab attention, but they were the authentication of the messenger, that this is the person of God, and the message. They have the Word of God. And there were several specific time periods, but the time of Jesus and the apostles was one of those. And for Jesus, the miracles, they authenticated that he was the Messiah. And so that was part of then the opposition that arises against him, that those who were opposed to him were rejecting those things that were authenticating who he was, that supernatural power. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it speaks of those, those gifts. And, and it's interesting because that passage is actually starting to allude to them in past tense. And so I do believe those signed gifts have ceased that they were for a specific time. I think there are other aspects. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 also speaks of this, uh, the sign gifts. But these were the qualifications necessary for an apostle. The, the purpose of the apostle was they really did have a unique ministry. 
And so I, I don't believe there are apostles today. I think it was a special time. It was for the establishment of the early church. It was a foundational role in the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12, the, that there are gifts given to the church, and it mentions apostles, and the purpose was in the establishment of the, the early church. They took leadership in the early church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, we read of, and we studied that a while back, the holy apostles. Well, they were to be examples of virtue, but they had a responsibility to provide leadership in the early church. Uh, their, their teaching had a special authority in the apostles' doctrine. And again, we read of that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I believe that's what uh, our Lord is referring to in, in his, his prayer and His teaching in the upper room, that they would come to know truth. And, and we get the, the teaching through that. And, and then, as we've already mentioned, the sign gifts, that there, there was a supernatural enablement that was part of their ministry as well. And, and so understanding, as we're talking about the apostles, these are, are pieces that we didn't look at last week, but I wanted you to have. And then the fourth area that we considered was the stage was that of martyrdom. The last stage takes place after Christ's resurrection. Uh, Jesus appears to the remaining disciples, commands them to uh, go and, and disciple all nations. He calls them to give their lives for the sake of the gospel, and they all will give their lives to the Lord. And all but John will be martyred, they will be killed. John will face great persecution, and then in his old age he is, he is exiled to the Isle island of Patmos where he dies an aged man and and even that exile is is showing the persecution that here as as an aged man he's placed into exile like somehow he's going to cause problems and he's on this island surrounded by water and it's there that he is in the spirit on the Lord's day he receives the vision and we have the the book of Revelation and I find it fascinating that he's exiled to an island and he's telling of heaven and he mentions there's no sea. And, and just the, the aspect of that. But seeing this, this all taking place. And so uh, these are the, the stages. And so what we come to this evening is the selecting of those 12. And I, I've had you turn to Acts chapter 6. I want us to consider this and, and really understanding this is a significant passage of significant selection in the history of the gospel that he is going to choose and appoint of his disciples he's going to choose 12 and appoint them as apostles so stage three of the fellowship and at this point out of the multitude of followers the Lord's going to select certain ones that's what's described here in this passage look with me in in Luke chapter 6 Verse 12, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, 
Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, the one who became a traitor. Now, what is described here is, is the calling of these 12, calling them apostles, and it's really an apostolic internship program that we see beginning at this point. Our Lord's going to send them out. He'll send them out two by two. They're going to report back. They're going to come back, and He's going to teach them, and they're going to continue to grow. But I want us to notice, first of all, that very first phrase, it came to pass in those days. The, the idea was at this time. Luke isn't talking about a specific day, but what is taking place, the context, the season, the period of our, of our Lord's ministry. He's talking about a phase of, of Jesus' ministry. And at really this point of calling the twelve divides our, our Lord's ministry into two fairly equal parts. And at this point, there's going to be a deepening of the teaching. You know, while Jesus was popular in Galilee, he was, he was very controversial in, in Nazareth and in Judea. The crowns that had initially come around him, but now the opposition is also increasing. And the growing number of followers makes it difficult to move. You know, it's, it's much harder to travel with a large group. It's, it's, it's hard to teach when you've got a, a multitude around you. When, when we were traveling in, in Europe, we, each place, in, in Italy, in Israel, and also in, in Egypt, they would give us earpieces. They, they call them whispers. Turn on your whispers. And so our guide could talk and we could just follow and we could hear what was going on. Jesus didn't have one of those. I wonder how many times he said, what did he say? Well, it makes it more difficult when you've got a large group that is, that is following and there is an increasing hostility. The Pharisees felt that he blasphemed by forgiving a man with the withered hand. And that's the immediate context. If you, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 17, that's where you find the, the, the mounting opposition that is taking place. In, or in Luke 5, 17, in Matthew chapter 12, he's, he's talking about the same situation we find here in Luke chapter 6. And so when Jesus forgives this man who had the withered hand, he heals him, uh, they, they, they increase their criticism. They're, they're looking for a way to deal with him. Uh, Matthew and, and Mark uh, make it even clearer. They're trying to destroy Jesus. And this is the point where that opposition is increasing. And so the, the, this, this criticism, this conflict, really reaches a high point in verse 11 of this chapter. It says in verse 11, but they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus, how they could destroy him. And there have been several things. that What he does on the Sabbath that they believe violates that. They didn't like his selection of, of Matthew, saying to Matthew, come, follow me. Matthew was a tax collector. They, they had no use for that. They, they criticized Jesus saying he, he eats with sinners. And he wasn't doing that for acceptability. He was doing it because they needed the gospel. And so all of this, so they're trying to destroy him. That's the backdrop against which verse 12 and following is set. And what I want us to understand, and I think it's good for us to realize, Jesus did not lavish his ministry on those who did not receive it. Those who would reject it. 
They had despised the doctrine as, as he showed his grace, his mercy, as he's seeking to lay it out. They, they spurned repentance. And so it's important for us that we be receptive to the truth. That when the Holy Spirit convicts that we be repentant, they didn't do that. And, and so from this point on, Jesus will deliberately disguise much of his teaching by using parables. And the purpose of parables, according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, on the same day, which is the context of what we're looking at here in Luke, the, the opposition has arisen, the hostility is there. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out and spoke many things to them in parables. And so the parables weren't just interesting stories that would hold their attention. You know, we read that and say, well, that, you know, it, it's, it's an earthly story. It is. It, it has a heavenly message. It does. But it was also to hide it, that message from those who would not respond to it. And so it's important for us that we be responsive to the Word of God. But can you imagine hearing some of those parables without an explanation? I mean, can you imagine if I, I got up tonight and I said, okay, you know, I, I just want to tell you that this evening there was this farmer and he went out to plant some seed and some of it fell on the path on the edge of the field and, and that's where the tractors would go by and it was really hard and the birds came and just eat it and, you know, the seed was crushed. Um, some fell on the ledge, there was rock underneath and, and it grew a little bit but when the sun came up it, it died very quickly. Some fell among uh, weeds and it grew and the weeds came and choked it out and, and then some fell on good ground and it brought forth a wonderful harvest. Let's have a word of prayer. And let's go home. It's like, well, if you have ears to hear, hear. I mean, what would you think? Okay, I think you spent too long out in the sun. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did. He tells the story and, and then says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear, and goes away. And his disciples come and say, okay, what's going on? What does this mean? And Jesus said to them, it is not given to them to understand. In fact, you, you see it back if you want to look over in chapter 8 because we find the same parable in chapter 8, verse 9. When he's talking about the parables and the, the parable of the sower that I just gave in a very brief form begins in verse 4. But in verse... Verse 8, it says, you know, other fell on good ground. It says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Then in verse 9, his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? We don't get it. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. It's being hidden. And, and I think it's, it's valuable for us to understand that, that we have to be receptive to the truth. As the Holy Spirit works, that we would be repentant, that there's a responsiveness. Because I, I think there may be times if a person seems to stall out in their spiritual development, there, there may be that point where they've just resisted the clear ministry of God in their lives, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to be very careful that we don't do that. And the Bible warns us, don't harden your heart. And so that we, we would not hesitate to respond, say, well, you know, I'll take care of that later. That we would have a sensitive conscience to the Word of God. 
because these had ceased to be follower learners, the, Lord, the word no longer applied. So we, we have to be reflective, meditate upon it. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And then, then he explains what this parable means. And, and recognizing this. So all of that to say the, the choosing of the twelve the, the selection of these 12 really was an indictment on institutionalized Judaism. There is no rabbi among these 12. No scribe, no Pharisee, no Sadducee, no priest of these that are chosen. You see, the religious leaders had become hostile. Jesus had confronted them about a year and a half earlier. He challenged the, the Israel's religious leadership and, and, and referred to them as thieves and hypocrites. And rather than repenting, they became resistant. And it got to the point they were even proud of their resistance. They boasted in their unbelief. In John chapter 7, verses 47 and 48, the, the crowd is saying, maybe this is the Son of God. And the Pharisees answered and said this, Are you also deceived? Have any rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? What are they saying? We're not falling for that. We're not falling for the scam. Look at us. We know better. They're boasting in their unbelief. And so the Lord doesn't pick those of the theological training, but fishermen, tax collectors, the common people. He had gone into the whip. He had overturned the tables. He rebuked their dishonesty and, and publicly challenged their sin, exposed their spiritual bankruptcy, but rather than repenting, they wanted to destroy him. And that was how he began his ministry. So, so now he calls 12. And I do think that number is significant. They're going to proclaim the kingdom of God to Israel, the 12 tribes, in fact, in Luke chapter 22, verses 29 and 30, it talks about the 12 thrones that they will sit upon and judge Israel. So this would not be lost on the Jews. And I, and I do think it's interesting. If, if you go back to chapter 6 and look at this list of names, there are seven names here that have already been introduced in the Gospels. We saw several of those last week. If you read through the... Um, the other Gospels, you'll find that seven of them have already been introduced, but five of them, this is the first time we, we learn their names. And they actually break down into three separate groups, and, and they will be in these groups. Their, their names fall into these groups, though the names may differ into, as to what group that they're in. But the, the first group is Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John. That's, that's, they're always one group. The Philip, Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, as he is mentioned here, uh, Thomas and Matthew. And, and then the third group being James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon the Zealot, Judas of James, or uh, Thaddeus, we, we think that's the, the one there, and then Judas Iscariot, the traitor. And his name is always last. But they break down into these three groups. But what I want us to consider from this passage is notice what, as we read, what takes place in this calling. It says in verse 12 again, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Isn't it interesting that our Lord begins 
by praying before making the selection. And it's in its fervent prayer. It's all night prayer. He prays all night. I, I think if it weren't recorded in Scripture, we may question that. And, and then we find out as well as we read through the, the Gospels, he waited for the Father's choice. John 17 makes this clear. It says in John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They're the ones the Father gave him. It says in verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled that Jesus was seeking to do the Father's will. And again, in, in John, he's speaking of that. My, my responsibility, I came to do the will of my Father. And so he prays in preparation. He, he waits on the Father's will. I think there's a great lesson for us that when choosing people for ministry and leadership, we need to pray. You know, we began our monthly prayer time as we were looking at the transition of, of pastor here. And my desire is that we would continue that. And we have needs in the church. We have, we have staffing needs now in our school, in our church. We need to pray. What a wonderful thing to do on Wednesday night as we come as a church family. And, and to do it for an hour. Jesus continued all night in prayer. And then after that, it says he chose twelve. And to, to understand that, and I think it's interesting to, to look at that, that he selected only a few of his followers. There were multitudes that were, were coming to the Lord, that were around him, and he selected 12. The ones he selected were really unexceptional. Like I said, some of these names we hadn't even read before. Some of them we know very little about, even though they were one of the 12. And, and what we do find out is they, they really were not qualified. They're unworthy. They, they certainly lack humility. When we find out some of the arguments they're having about who's going to be greatest, the, the things we talked about this morning of, of be humble, be gentle, be patient, those were not characteristics they had. And yet Jesus chose them. And, and, and to recognize the, the lacks... And then he picked people with diverse abilities, personalities, different skills. I mean, we find they have different backgrounds. Do you think there was any disappointment among the other disciples? Jesus has spent all night praying. He's called his disciples to himself. And when he comes down, he starts calling out names. And he chooses 12. Do you think there were any there who say, well, what about me? Why, why did you pick him instead of me? I mean, do, do you think there were any parents that, that tried to get involved to fill Jesus in on some of those people? You know, I can tell you some things about Simon Peter. You know, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder, and it's not because they watch the Weather Channel. They, they have a temper problem. You don't really want them, do you? And, 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 and you've got Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. That's not going to end well. The zealots were the ones who would stab the tax collectors in the back. 
and you're calling both of them? You know, from a human perspective, I'm sure that there were a lot of other ideas. Well, you know, my son would be a better leader. He has more leadership ability. He, he speaks more fluently than some of them. And yet our Lord called them for a purpose. And he began to teach them. And it's interesting to see the teaching that took, takes place. If you look at what takes place after he calls them, he, he's called them, there, there's some other things looking, going on here. And look at verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now we know this as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. And that's what's taking place. And, I, and I've read this, but I, but I want you to notice something in the teaching here. As I, as I read the verses, if you look again, you'll notice that it's the are you in verse 20. Blessed are you. Notice what's different about the print there. It's in italics. Which we've mentioned before that it's, it's, it's included by the translators so that we get the flow, but it's not actually in the original Greek text. So it literally reads, Blessed the poor, for yours is the kingdom of, of God. Blessed the hungry, they shall be filled. Blessed the weeping. And, and, and I stress that because the first point that it actually mentions them is verse 22. You'll notice that our you is not in italics. That is in the Greek text. Blessed are you when men will hate you. Remember the fourth stage, martyrdom. From the very call of, to apostleship, the Lord is preparing them for what's coming. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, as it says in Matthew. The earlier ones are general. These are very specific. And it's being applied to them to help them realize what is coming. Blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you, revile you for the Son of Man's sake. And understanding, we too will face persecution. The Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So getting the perspective on this selection, and then finally I want us to see the purpose. And Mark chapter 3, and we're pulling from different Gospels as we're doing the overview of the call of the, the disciples and now particularly the twelve. In Mark 3 it says, Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And notice the two purposes in that verse as to why he appointed twelve. They're highlighted by the word that that they might be with him, that they would be in company with Christ, and then that he could commission them to send them out. 
And he would send them out. He's going to send them out two by two. We read elsewhere, he sends out 70. And again, that's how we know there's a multitude of disciples, but 12 that are called to be apostles. And their primary ministry is going to be to take the message of the kingdom, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, to take that message to Israel, to take that to the Jews. Now we know he came unto his own people and they did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And the gospel is then going to go forth and we find in Acts, they're then being told to take the gospel, be witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what we see starting with the Jews, bringing that, the message of the kingdom, the kingdom was offered. They wanted the kingdom. They wanted the special, the rights, the privileges, the reign of the kingdom, but they rejected the king. And you don't get the kingdom without the king. And so understanding that they, they couldn't understand, as we looked at end times, they struggled to understand how can the Messiah come and suffer and they didn't see that he must suffer and then reign and so they rejected him and there are a number of priests that are saved at Pentecost and so we see that taking place so so what can we learn and apply from this I think first realizing that seem seemingly obscure individuals are called and used of the Lord you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, I don't have the talent they do. I, I'm no Peter. Well, we know very little about Bartholomew. We, we know very little about Thaddeus, the other Judas. But they were used of God. This was a turning point in gospel history. This is a significant event. And how few details do we know of the lives of most of these men? We know quite a bit about Peter and John, less about Andrew and James, and then we get further down and, and we have little snippets of, of things that they did or said or different things. But, you know, God uses people that from a human perspective, from a historical perspective, are in obscurity. But God remembers he is not unrighteous, unjust to forget your labor of love. So let's be faithful. Obscure individuals are, are called to be used of the Lord, that He will use us. You don't have to be a great person to be greatly used of God, but you have to be willing. And understand why He called them, that they might be with Him, and then He could send them out. And we too have that opportunity. Opportunity for fellowship. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That we have his word. Do we fellowship with him? Think, boy, what an amazing situation for these 12. To be able to ask those questions. Okay, you told this parable. What does it mean? And, and as he blessed them and said, you have ears to hear and eyes to see. So we need to be receptive. We need to be responsive. We need to reflect. Meditate upon God's Word. Not just say, okay, I, I checked off my devotions for today. But that we too can seek to serve Him faithfully.
We're not going to be apostles, but we can be disciples, learners, students. And God has called us to be workmen that do not need to be ashamed because we accurately handle the word of truth. So are we being used of God? And would we pray for those opportunities to share the gospel? Maybe like a Philip introducing Nathaniel. Andrew bringing his brother. Maybe the Lord reaching out because we've given a gospel tract or sought to share the gospel. But pray for those opportunities that we too can be used of God. Let's bow in prayer.